Happy Friday, everyone, and thanks for joining us for the latest episode of the Prairie and Smith podcast. Last week, we saw some excellent football, including Southern Miss's big win, Georgia State taking down Old Dominion, South Alabama regaining their footing in Coastal Carolina, picking up a big win over Marshall. Week 10 in the Sun Belt has already provided us a great midweek game between two of the premier programs in Coastal Carolina and App State. But we've still got some great matchups coming up this weekend, including Georgia Southern versus South Alabama in Statesboro, Troy at Louisiana, and an interesting out-of-conference game for James Madison against Louisville from the ACC. Caden, we're just three weeks away from the end of the regular season. What has you most excited about this weekend's slate? The size of it, I think, overall. We Last week, we saw a lot of teams get some buys and didn't get to talk about as many games as we usually do. But now a lot of those teams are coming off of buys, coming into the most important month of football, which is November, playing for bowl eligibility, playing for conference rights and bragging rights to end the season off. So I'm really excited about the depth. We get to see all these teams, for the most part in the conference, play this weekend and play when it matters the most. So I think we're going to see the best out of every team this weekend for sure. And we get to see a lot of them and a lot of great matchups. Multiple teams playing for bowl eligibility this weekend, and in today's episode, we'll be previewing each of the six remaining Sunbelt games in Week 10. We're also going to give our instant reaction to Thursday's game between Coastal Carolina and App State. Kate, I know you've got a lot of thoughts on that one, but Caden, only three weeks remain in the Sunbelt regular season after this week. You still ready to talk some football? I'm born ready. They remember November, so they say, so let's get after it. Well, we are officially in November, and we've had our first game of November. It was recently completed. We're recording this uh, around 11 o'clock Eastern here, right after the Coastal Carolina and App State game uh, went final. Coastal Carolina winning that game in Conway in front of the largest crowd in program history. They win it 35-28 to 28 over App State. And, Caden, the story in this game was how hot Coastal's offense was at the beginning of this game. They go for 282 yards. Uh, in the first half of this contest, Jared Brown got off to a big start, rushing three times for 84 yards. Coastal's offense firing on all cylinders from the get-go tonight. They were, and I have a heavy heart right now. I'm obviously a little bit butthurt because of my team losing in App State, but you have to give your hats off to Coastal in this one. Their offense was clicking on all cylinders to start off this game, and I think it was really kind of a product of some of the concerns we had about App State's offense coming into this one and some of the things that we've always been up about as far as Coastal's offense. Their offensive attack is one where you have to defend a lot of things at once. You have to be able to defend and tackle well on the perimeter because they're going to use those orbit motions with the running backs. We saw Brown get very involved in that game. You have to worry about Grayson throwing the ball over the top and then just the downhill rushing attack as well. And I think if you look at App State in this one to start off the game, they're doing a very poor job of defending all three of those things. And then you saw Coastal start to use some trick plays and really dive into their playbook and exploit this App State defense who has struggled this year, who has traditionally played this team and had some struggles every now and then been able to pull it out. But the way Coastal started off the game with their foot on the gas, they made sure that App State had to have all their bases covered. And to start off the game, they had none of them covered. So kudos to Coastal for having that hot start. And I think that's really what carried them into the victory for this one. Jared Brown rushes for a 45-yard touchdown around the edge uh, really quickly into this game. And Kane, the story in this first half was the big plays. And Coastal had 10 of them. Uh, multiple of them through the air as well on the ground. We mentioned Jared Brown. He rushes it three times for 84 yards. All of that came in the first half in this game. Why was Coastal having so much success picking up, you know, chunk yardage against this App State defense? Well, I think on both sides of the ball, we were just seeing two different paces of play. You're watching Coastal's offense. They were running their offense as efficiently as you can. You saw the motions and the orbits and the decisiveness of their blocks and the decisions they were making. And then on the defensive side of the ball for App State, it was very much the opposite. There were some players who were put in those tough positions when you play this team where it seems like you have to defend two people at once. Is, is Grayson going to run the ball? Is he going to pitch it? Do I have to worry about the dive? Do I have to worry about the run or the pass option? You saw a lot of App State defenders in those situations, and they're talented guys. We talked about the star power on this defense, but when you put them in situations like that where they have to defend two things at once or think a little bit harder, it puts them in positions where Coastal's offense can make explosive plays. So I think that's what we saw to start off this game. It took a little bit more for them as far as the App State defense go to get comfortable. But in the beginning of the game, they just looked uncomfortable. And on top of that, they were tackling very poorly, had bad eyes in the secondary and getting beat over the top as well. It was really just a poor performance to start off the game in kind of every aspect of defense. And that's a very bad matchup when you go up against a complex offense like Coastal's. 
You look at App State, though, on offense, and one of the things that they really struggled to do in this game, Caden, was run the football. Just 88 yards on 27 carries, a 3.3 yard uh, per carry average in this game. Nate Noel, Cameron Peoples never really got going. Uh, why was App State struggling to run the football as much as they were? This is a team that, you know, last time these two teams got together, App State ran for nearly 300 yards on the ground. Yeah, I think, first of all, hats off to Coastal's defensive line. Those guys up front, anyone who was lined up in those A-gaps over the centers, over the guards, they were playing great lights out ball. They weren't getting App State the opportunity to really get downhill and going through the middle of the field. Anything that App State really got going as far as a running game was happening a little bit more on the outside of the tackle boxes. So I think a lot of that has to do with what Coastal had going on up front. They were really muddying some things up and giving some problems to the offensive linemen at App State who didn't play their best game as far as a rushing game goes. They're a little bit better in the passing game. Chase had to show off some of his mobility and get the ball downfield and do some things for them. But I think really it comes down to something I talked about earlier in the year. If the run game isn't going for App State, you have to keep rotating your backs possibly because of health reasons. And it's kind of hindering you I think it's time to go pass first. I think it's hard and it's kind of a pride thing that App State kind of wants to hang their hat on as far as we're going to have this identity where we run the ball. But I think when it comes down to it, you kind of have to feel the game. And you have to feel the pulse of it. I mean, if you look at App State's game against North Carolina to start the season off, they wouldn't have been anywhere close to competing in that game if they would have stayed dedicated to the run. And then at the end of this game, you saw some things getting going on the offensive side of the ball when they threw the ball. And really, in the first half, the, all the points they scored were coming off of those big explosive plays. So as a fan of App and someone who watches App, you kind of obviously want to see the run game get going and that be established. But at the end of the day, if you want to win football games, talked about the formulas and the ways to win we've seen these teams have to go through. Looks like it might be a pass first type of era going forward for this team if they struggle to run the ball. Chase Bryce, as you mentioned, had a pretty good game in this one. The numbers might be a little bit inflated because he had to play from behind. He throws it 28 times, completes 19 of them, uh, 68% completion, nearly 300 yards through the air, a couple of touchdowns. There was a couple, though, missed balls in this game, Caden, where Chase Bryce dropped some dimes and his wide receivers dropped a couple of balls. That stat line could have easily been much better uh, had some of those balls been caught in this contest. Yeah, I think a lot of those were at the end of the game where your receivers and your playmakers are kind of cold and not used to getting the ball. I mean, you have your receivers out wide trying their best to make some things happen and you wish they could catch some of those balls to make things happen. But what helps that is definitely getting that going in the beginning of the game. And I feel like it might be too soon to abandon the run game in those moments. That might be how it feels in the heat of the moment. But the more people you can get touching the ball in this App State offense, the better. Talk about earlier in the season when we were seeing the tight ends get more involved. We were seeing the receivers get more involved. Every seemed like every throw and pass and catch, you were seeing a different name called. And that just was not the case tonight. And I think that was kind of why the second half start was a little bit slow. And we can talk more about some of the decision making that was made in the beginning of the first, the second half of this game. But in the offense, it was just very hard to get going. And a lot of that had to do with the time of possession that Coastal had the ball. So kudos to them because sometimes your offense can be your best defense. And they possessed the ball very well and they didn't really make it to where App State, anytime they were on the field, they had to make the most of their opportunities and they weren't touching it much because Coastal really controlled this game from the beginning to the end. Caden, you talked about some questionable decisions, and there was one that really stands out, and that was going for it on fourth down. Uh, Cameron Peoples tried to run it, and they weren't able to pick up that fourth down. That's something that App State has built their identity around, and that's being able to convert those fourth downs, uh, especially in short yardage, but Peoples wasn't able to. And I know that you're a bit concerned about that decision based on how the defense was playing, time of game, and, and if it was the smart decision, the right decision to go for it on fourth down. Yeah, and this is one of really the hottest topics that we talk about across all football, whether it's NFL, college, Saturdays or Sundays or even Friday nights, probably. It's the analytics and if you should go for it on fourth down and what your odds should be. But I think a lot of what's missed from that is just feeling the pulse of the game and feeling out what your momentum is like and what your team is like going forward. We talked about the slow start that App State's defense came up to. They gave out 21 points pretty fast, but then in the second quarter, they held things down. They kept Coastal out of the end zone and then coming out in the second half, they have a 15-play drive that takes up eight minutes, and they end it with stopping Coastal Carolina in their own territory, and that's huge for them. It's a huge stop for them with a one-score game, and then the offense gets the ball right back, and you three straight plays, doesn't work out, and then you decide to go for it on fourth down in your own territory. I just don't see the best-case scenario of that working out for App. Your defense just was on the field for eight minutes. Your offense is very cold from watching your defense play, and then you go back, and you have the risk of putting them back on the field on an even shorter field 
I think in that situation, you just have to punt the ball, give your defense another shot to make Coastal drive down the field because we saw how effective their offense was at times. And I think even the play call, running it with Cam Peoples on fourth and two or up the middle, when up the middle just hasn't been good for you. I talked about the defense alignment of Coastal who've been plugging things up all game. Just didn't like that decision. And I think after that, when Coastal scores on a short field as a touchdown, you're up you're now down 14 to 28. You can't be surprised in that situation. You kind of have to take some accountability. I feel like if you're coach Clark and this coaching staff, because I feel like that was a pivotal watershed moment of the game that you can kind of point to as far as when it really got out of hand. I find it crazy just how, you know, the mighty have fallen. I mean, we're talking six weeks ago about app state being a top 25 team, potential uh, New York six bowl game. They had had college game day come to town. We saw that, you know, crazy Hail Mary play and suddenly now App State at five and four and they're going to need to pick up a couple of wins here at the end of the year in order to get to bowl eligibility. Uh, Caden, it feels like a bit of a loss, a lost season up in Boone. Uh, This was a a promising start to the season, I think, and we've talked about it a lot on this podcast. There was a lot of distractions early on this year uh, up in Boone, and I think that definitely hurt App State in the long run, but Coastal Carolina certainly is looking really good right now and, and has to be considered the favorite to win the Sun Belt. Yeah, I think we've talked long and in depth about some of the struggles that App State had at the beginning of the season, some of the ups and downs, the highs and lows, the Hail Marys, the college game days, the UNC game, the Texas A&M game. But those distractions are not coming together. Five and four is not something they're used to seeing at App State. And I feel like these last three games are going to be very important as far as the future of this program. I mean, the bowl eligibility, that's something we're accustomed to always seeing. And if the conference championship is out of line, then you can lean on that. But then if you're not in a bowl game, it's it's a time to really start looking in the mirror at App State and figure out where this program is going to go. And I think even for Coastal Carolina and Louisiana, you look at the teams that were used to being really dominant in this conference. Coastal Carolina, their record's showing up. But I think if you're watching them week in and week out and you're watching the competition of this conference as a whole, I think there's just a little bit more parity. I think it's harder to win football games for each and every team in this conference, no matter how good you've been historically. A lot of great defenses, a lot of great coaching decisions that have been made that have really come up big for some of these teams. So I think overall it does. It is unfortunate to see those teams we're used to seeing on top in this conference be there. But I think overall as a whole for a conference, seeing these App States, these Louisianas, these Coastal Carolinas, all these teams now who are having to fight a little bit more for wins, seeing a little bit more of parity and a little bit more of different things week in and week out, I think it's good for the conference overall. And I'm obviously not excited as a Hap State fan going forward to see the, the conference continue to get better. But I think as a Sun Belt as a whole, you have to be excited watching some teams maybe take a loss here, take a loss there, and have to fight for bowl eligibility and fight week in and week out to have a really great product that you see every Saturday. Well, Coastal continues to roll. And as I said, they're probably the favorites in the league right now to win the conference championship and definitely going to be in that conference championship unless some things go wrong down the stretch. But Coastal's looking good. App State with questions. One big thing towards the end of this game, Trey Cobb picks up an injury. We'll have to keep an eye on that as the weeks move on. That could be a potentially big loss uh, for that App State team. So you have to hope that he's healthy We mentioned it earlier, too. Grayson McCall looked a little bit banged up. We'll see how he recovers moving forward. But let's move on to our first game that's going to take place on Saturday. It's Old Dominion versus Marshall. This game will air at 1 p.m. on ESPN+. Marshall comes in. These are two programs that played each other a lot during their Conference USA days. Uh, Marshall's won six of the last seven matchups. Uh, This will actually be their first meeting as members of the Sun Belt. And last year, when these two teams got together, Caden, it was a 20-13 to 13 loss for Old Dominion in Huntington. Uh, really, the story in this game is ODU needing to reestablish that rushing attack. They ran it for just uh, a season-low 26 yards last week at Georgia State. Blake Watson uh, had 53 yards on the ground. There was a lot of negative plays. Uh, they had run it for 100-plus yards in three straight, and that was really what was leading to some of the resurgence for Old Dominion. Uh, but that rushing attack really flopped last week. It needs to recover here against Marshall. Yeah, ODU reverted to their old ways last week. We saw in the beginning of the season they were playing in some hard-fought close games and really leaning on their defense and not getting much out of their offense. And then we talked about the resurgence. We saw, obviously, the biggest one being against Coastal and getting that rushing attack going in multiple different ways, whether that's Blake Watson or the, the backup quarterback that was in there making some things shake. But I think another big takeaway from last week as well, it was the worst game we've had of the season from Ali Jennings, only three catches from him, 24 yards. Still found the end zone, though, and he's found the end zone in his seventh straight week from that he only hasn't scored in the first game of the of the year which is impressive for him but I like what I saw of Javon Harvey as well in the slot he had some explosive plays and ended the game with 124 yards and a touchdown so I think 
them having to take care of their rushing attack is going to be it's a thing within itself. They're going to have to handle that as well. But if you can't lean on your great players like Ali Jennings, who have gotten you to this point, that's another thing to worry about. So I like to see them maybe use both of those receivers in a tandem, one in the slot, one out wide, maybe bring them close and play with the alignment and try to get him open and kind of emphasize getting some help, more opportunities to him. Because if you're a Marshall, you have to think if we, can, if we have a game where we don't have to worry about Ali Jennings and we can worry about some other stuff, that's a, that's easy. It's a walk in the park for your defense. So you want to be able to put as much pressure if you are Old Dominion on this Marshall defense and as many different places as possible. And you have a reliable one out wide and now maybe one in the slot as well. Have to lean on that if you're going into this game as an offense. We also saw some unfortunate news earlier this week coming out of Norfolk, and that was that Zach Kuntz was going to be out for the remainder of the year. He's having surgery. Uh, that's a big loss, and you hate seeing that. A player that was uh, supposed to have a huge year this year gets injured and now won't play the rest of the way. Kane, when you look at the numbers of this game, uh, this screams Marshall's about to have a pretty big bounce back game on the ground. Old Dominion, their opponents have rushed for over 200 yards in five of the eight games this year, including three of the last four. Marshall, though, last week rushes for just 87 yards. Kalen Laborn ran for just 59. Uh, he's had a touchdown in every game this year, two touchdowns in five of his eight. Uh, the numbers scream that Marshall could have a huge game on the ground against Old Dominion. Yeah, uh, I would not want to play a Marshall team that's looking to bounce back from a bad rushing performance because they're already trying to establish that game in and game out. So now they have a little bit more of a motive. That's definitely going to be scary. I think that 87-yard performance we saw from them last week will be a lot more of an outlier compared to what they do the rest of the season and in this game. And you watch Georgia State last week. I mean, they're fresh off of a um, 223-yard rushing performance against Old Dominion. And so you'd have to like, if you're Marshall, seeing some of that stuff. And I think if you're Marshall as well, if you want to take it to another level, you saw the effectiveness of Darren Granger as a runner last week against this Old Dominion offense. And you have, or this Old Dominion defense, sorry. You have Cam Fancher as your quarterback, who also has some dual threat capabilities. We've seen a little bit less of that since he's been the starter, a little bit more of that when he was kind of getting put in games in random times. But I think if you want to take your offense to another level, you have that matchup and you've shown that you have the capabilities to do that against this defense. So I'm interested to see if they maybe feature Cam Fancher a little bit in the running game as well, along with Laybourne. The story last week for Marshall against Coastal was their inability to finish drives in the red zone. And Caden, we talked about it, particularly with Cam Fancher. He throws for over 300 yards in that game, but didn't throw for a touchdown. Uh, Marshall against Coastal in that game, just two of five times that they got down into the red zone, they were able to score. This is a team that's converted over 80% uh, of their opportunities. Does that concern you at all for Marshall, uh, just their inability against the better teams in this conference to convert in the red zone? It does, especially when you run the ball as well as Marshall does. You have to be able to finish drives in the end zone. It's kind of weird having that balance when you're a running team and when you run your way into the end zone in the red zone area. Now, the defense you were playing was already kind of expecting you to run, but now they're kind of more in a heads up. So I would look to try to maybe use some play action game, get Fancher on the move, use some more misdirection and really maybe just get some more explosive plays in the open field as well, just to keep them on their toes. We saw Fancher had a great day in the air last week, throwing for 300 plus yards. Gamage had a career day with eight grabs and 187 yards, but they just failed to reach the end zone. So you'd like to see them maybe turn some of those explosive plays into scoring plays or at least set you up in the position where you can get Laybourne down on the goal on him, be able to punch it in. I think against this old Dominion team, there's going to be a little bit less pressure on their defense. So maybe this would be a good opportunity for them to maybe shake some things up in the Renzo and get some more points when they get down there. Watch out for Jason Henderson in this game. He's coming off of a 17 tackle performance against Georgia State. He's had double digit tackling games in eight games this year. He's already had 129 tackles, Caden. That's a program record, and he still has four games to go. You do some quick math here, and Jason Henderson could have a 160, maybe 170 tackle season, which would be incredible numbers. He's having an excellent year and is going to make things difficult for Marshall if they try to run up the middle. Dude's an absolute problem, man. He's a joy to watch, watching somebody just fly around like that. And you hope that if you're an ODU defense, he can be a little bit contagious because watching a guy like that fly around is just inspiring. And you feel like if you're, if I know if I'm on the field, I've played with DeMarco Jackson and Akeem Davis Gaver, some guys who are some talented guys who fly all over the place and not even t getting in as many tackles as this guy Henderson, but it's, it's kind of infectious. You feel like you're not playing as much if you're on defense if this guy's making tackles left and right. So hopefully he can rub off some of these guys in Old Dominion. And we talked about it last week. We were super excited to watch him meet Tucker Gregg in the hole. And he's going to have to do it again probably this week with another one of the best running backs in the country and Kalen Laybourne. So super excited to watch that individual matchup as well. Last thing on this matchup, and that is that Marshall needs to continue to do a good job on third down. And 
and and I mean defensively, Marshall has allowed just 25 third down conversions this year. A 21.4 defense rate when it comes to third down conversions on the season is leads the NCAA. Uh, and they've held opponents to just 10 for 60 in their last four games. Caden, why is Marshall so good on third down, holding their opponents from picking up those first downs? It's because they're good from the front of their defense to the back of their defense. Third down's a, a whole nother ball game within a, a ball game. If you look at defensive coordinators and how much detail they take, they're very detailed and diligent as far as what plays they call on third down. They're third and, third and short, third and manageable, and third and long. And they're going to take all those situations and see what an offense does and then really build three different defensive game plans depending on that. And when Marshall's gotten third and down in short situations, their guys up front have stepped up big. And when they get in third and long situations, their secondary has shown up big. So they've really been playing off of each other and been one of those teams where, you know, if we get them in third and short, some offenses might feel like, oh yeah, we have our way with this team every time because their secondary might be their strength. Vice versa with a third and long they don't get a pass rush we're going to get our receivers open but they've had a balance of both and i feel like we saw how effective they were against a um, offense and coastal which we saw this week and today on a thursday night what they were capable to do and i think if they can bring some of that stuff even just a little bit of that consistency from the front of their defense to the back of their defense against odominion there'll be another successful weekend for them as far as third downs go and just defense as a whole well old dominion and marshall set to duel on saturday uh, we'll certainly be keeping an eye out on that one. Old Dominion comes into the matchup three and five. Marshall four and four. Old Dominion two and two in East Division play. Marshall at one and three. So the Thundering Herd would certainly love to score a big win on the road in this game. Uh, let's move on, though, to the next game up, and that's Southern Miss versus Georgia State, a game, Caden, that I think could be a really sneaky good game this weekend. Uh, it's going to take place at 2 p.m. on Saturday on ESPN+. And Southern Miss comes into this game, Caden, seeking bowl eligibility for the first time since 2020. It would be the first bowl game under Will Hall. They defeated Louisiana in 39-24 last week. And the teams have won these two programs when you combine their wins over the last couple of weeks. They've won six out of their last seven games. These are two of the hotter teams in the Sun Belt right now. And this is actually going to be the first meeting between these two programs Caden, the big thing for me in this game, the question is, which Darren Granger shows up? Will we see the Darren Granger that threw for 195 yards last week and ran for 104 and responsible for a couple of touchdowns? Or will we see the Darren Granger who hasn't been able to establish himself at times this year? I think the answer to that question might be the answer ultimately to who wins this football game. No, I know I've been accused on this podcast of stealing your notes, but you stole a page right out of mine. I literally, the, the question on mine at the top of it is, can Darren Granger do it again? That's the that's the game right here. I think if you look at this matchup, you talked about it. Both of these teams are hot. They're both four and one in their last four ball games, and I think the strength of Darren Granger in their last game is really what elevated them to that win. And I think they've had to rely on both of these teams. Had to rely on some of their foundations in both of these things in both of these last four games. Sorry, Southern Miss has been leaning on that defense these last couple of weeks, and Georgia State's been leaning on that rushing attack. And then when you see the explosive plays of either of the quarterbacks really get both of these teams ahead. That's been the difference for them. So I think Darren Granger, he's coming off one of his strongest performances of the season where he was probably the most effective with his arms and his legs that we've ever seen. But can he do this against that nasty bunch we talked about with Frank Gore Jr. this week on the podcast? It's a lot easier said than done. If I had to guess and bet on it, I'd probably bet no not to give my pick away. But Georgia State's probably going to have to lean on their running game, which they were accustomed to doing what they're used to doing. They average the most yards on the ground per game in the conference with 232. And I think you look at this nasty bunch of defense, though, they're only giving up 106 rushing yards per game. So something's going to have to give in that department. And that's where I think Darren Granger can come in and maybe elevate Georgia State into a victory in this one. On the other side, you've got Zach Wilkie, and the probably the game inside the game here is Zach Wilkie versus the secondary for Georgia State. Uh, Georgia State comes in fourth in the league with 11 interceptions this year. Uh, in Tarius Lane, Quavion White, they've combined for four interceptions. Wilkie, he's thrown two or more interceptions in three of his last four games. Uh, this has potential disaster written all over it, but when we talked with Frank Gore, on Wednesday, he was, you know, giving us rave reviews about the growth of South Wil or Zach Wilkie, rather, uh, and perhaps this is a chance for a coming out party for the young quarterback. 
Yeah, and that Georgia State secondary is a very talented group. Don't get it wrong. But I think if you look at Zach Wilkie and the issues turning the ball over and the confidence, he went up against toe-to-toe with Louisiana, who's the best team at intercepting the ball in this league, only threw one interception in the very beginning of the game. So obviously a key to the game for him, again, is not to turn the ball over. But if you do do it, maybe get it out of the way on your first pass like you did last time. So it's kind of just forgotten about. We can move on from there and just get it out of your system. But no, I think on... Their side of the ball on offense, Zach Wilkie has to generate some more big plays for them. I think that was huge for them last week, and it could be huge for them again. Their offense is going to be a heavy dose of run. It's going to be a heavy dose of our now friend of the podcast, Frank Gore Jr., in that rushing attack, moving the chains, getting four yards on the ground, controlling the clock, sprinkling some super back. And then you have to, if you're Zach Wilkie like you did last week, take those deep shots to Jason Brownlee, to Ty Mims, get them involved and catch the secondary slipping and lull them kind of asleep with that run game and then be accurate with your passes in the intermediate and deep pass game. I think they kind of have their formula figured out. And if he doesn't turn the ball over and can play well enough and lean on the run game and the defense, I think it could be a good time for him in this ball game against Georgia State, which does have a talented secondary, but he just played a very talented one in Louisiana as well. We know Georgia State's going to run the football in this game. They've run for over 200 yards in all but one game this year. They're the top rushing offense in the league. Tucker Gregg, uh, another friend of the podcast. We've had both of the star running backs on in this game uh, this season. But Tucker Gregg rushing into the history books last week and becoming the all-time leading rusher in Georgia State history. Caden, Southern Miss, though, one of the things that they need to do well in this game is is get to the quarterback. This is a Southern Miss team. They lead the Sun Belt Conference with 29 sacks on the year. They've had four or more sacks in six of the last seven games, four last week against Louisiana. Uh, They've had nine sacks in the last three games, and you have to imagine that they're going to be hunting Darren Granger early in this game. Oh, no. Southern Miss's defense is one of the most fun defenses to watch get after the passer in all of the Sun Belt. And I think I'm very excited to watch them again in this matchup because we talk about it with Darren Granger again, another mobile quarterback. And I think if you look at a rushing attack or pass rushing attack, that's very good. It's way more about discipline and being in the right place in the right time when you play a mobile quarterback like Darren Granger. You saw last week, Old Dominion got to him a couple of times, but because they weren't as disciplined in their rush lanes, he was able to get out of the pocket. And then he has the best game he's ever had throwing the ball on the wall on the run as well. So I think if you're Southern Miss, you saw some mistakes last week from Old Dominion, you might be able to learn from that and capitalize on it even better because you are a better pass rushing team truly. But I think if we do see Darren Granger give this team some problems as far as in the pass rushing game, be able to make some throws outside the pocket and make some things work, it's going to come down to the discipline of Southern Miss's team because they have the talent and all of the people in the world in the depth as far as stand-up rushers, guys up the middle that can make it happen. But it's going to be about can they be disciplined in their game and in their technique to keep Darren Granger in the pocket and just let things collapse on him. Georgia State, their rush defense has been a bit interesting lately. They have allowed less than 100 yards in two of their last three games, but sprinkled in between those two games was a 404-yard performance from App State. Uh, last week, though, they gave up a season-low 26 yards to Old Dominion. Meanwhile, Southern Miss comes into this game, Caden, and they've been running the ball very well lately, 130-plus yards on the ground in their last three games. Uh, They had done it just one time in their previous four, and uh, we spoke with Frank Gore on Wednesday, and he talked about uh, the work that he puts in to get better as the season goes, and that certainly is showing he's rushed for over 91 yards per game in his last three. The question is, how can Georgia State slow down Frank Gore, or is it more of a conversation about containing Frank Gore? It's a great question. I would lean more towards containing, especially when you have a back as dynamic as him and especially when you give such a variety of different run looks. I mean, the super back look alone is such a unique one and such a tough one to defend. That's very different from Georgia State's downhill running attack we see with Tucker Gregg. When Frank Gore gets back there, he might hit you in the backfield with that downhill rushing attack, expose you on the edges and make your guys work laterally. But then when you get in the super back formation, he's getting the ball. He has some time and some space between when he catches the ball and gets to the line of scrimmage to really operate and see if something works. And now we talked about him on the podcast. Now you have to worry about his arm a little bit as well. So it is going to be more about containing him. Georgia State did contain Old Dominion pretty well last week. Obviously not as explosive as a rushing attack, but as far as the whole team goes, They both average about 25 points a game on offense, about 340 yards per game for offense. And I think it's not really ridiculous to say that Old Dominion and Southern Miss's offensive attacks are super 
much better than each other. They're pretty comparable, and Georgia State was successful against them last week. But I think they have a kind of more unique challenge as far as Frank Gore Jr. goes. But I do think they are capable just based on what we've seen from them all year. It's just going to be about that consistency that they bring to the table. Expect the Nasty Bunch to be an X factor in this game. They've allowed just 103 yards combined in their last three games. They gave up a season worth 370 yards uh, through the air last week, so they'll certainly be looking to rebound from that. But this is a group, too, that also forced four turnovers in last week's game, a fumble recovery and three interceptions. So they're a a grouping that will certainly make a huge difference on this game, and it will be interesting uh, to see how this game plays out. I think it'll be uh, a really good game. Uh, with Southern Miss looking to get to bowl eligibility. But let's move on. Georgia Southern versus South Alabama. Uh, Caden, this might be the premier game of the weekend, and I'm interested when we get to picks in this game how we're both going to land. South Alabama has historically not been able to beat Georgia Southern. They had uh, lost the previous uh, seven meetings, or six meetings rather, uh, before finally getting over the hump last year and beating Georgia Southern for the first time. Um, until last year, Georgia Southern had dominated this matchup. And I even want to say dominated with a capital D because they had scored 172 points more than South Alabama in the previous seven meetings. This is certainly a much different looking South Alabama team this year. It's a much different Georgia Southern team this season under Clay Helton. And the conversation for Georgia Southern has to start again with Kyle Van Treese, a player who you know, probably is looking to rebound a little bit in this one. He throws it for a season low 27 pass attempts last week against Old Dominion or a couple weeks ago against Old Dominion, uh, 192 yards through the air. Although he didn't throw an interception, which is something we've talked about. He doesn't do that for the second time this year. Caden Van Trees has been consistent for most of the season. He's thrown a touchdown pass now in eight straight games. Uh, if Georgia Southern wants to beat South Alabama, it's going to come down to how well does Kyle Van Trees play? He's been playing well all year, and we've talked in depth about as well how the offensive line has helped them be able to succeed in this game. And we talk about South Alabama's defense being a strong group, one of the stronger groups in the conference. And I don't think it's ridiculous to say if you look at Georgia Southern's schedule, this will be the toughest defense they have played all year. But you have an offensive line that doesn't give up sacks as much. And I think if you look at the strengths of South Alabama's defense, their weakest part is probably up front in that pass rush. I think they're going to be able to play a ball game where they can keep Kyle Van Trees protected and let him distribute the ball to his group of receivers. And I think if he's able to do that and you're Georgia Southern, you're going to be in just about any ball game you play. And so I'm super excited to watch this one. You've talked about it. These teams have played a lot, but I think they look a lot different this season than they've looked in the past. And we look at both of these receiving cores as well, and there's a ton to talk about there. And I think overall as a game, this is just an exciting one to get into. And I think a lot of it is going to be on Kyle Van Trees' plate as far as can they pull off the upset victory in this one. Georgia Southern's offensive line, as you mentioned, has been elite this season. They've given up just two sacks, which is second best in the nation, and it's their lowest sack total through eight games in program history. Uh, We talk a lot about that in terms of pass protect, but where that unit has been so good is running the football, and uh, Georgia Southern just needs to keep rumbling. Last week, they rushed for a season-high 223 yards on the ground versus Old Dominion. Uh, Jalen White and Gerald Green combined to have massive games. Uh, White has nine touchdowns this year, three touchdowns in his last four. Jalen White has arguably been one of the better running backs in this conference this year. And when you pair him uh, with Van Trees in that wide receiving core, this has been an elite Georgia Southern offense this season. Yeah, and you talked about some of the things like it obviously wasn't Kyle Ventrese's most electric game compared to some of the things we've seen in the past. But I think their performance against Old Dominion last week was one of my favorite of the season for them just because they didn't have to have Kyle throw for 500 or 500 yards and 50 pass attempts. And their offensive line was able to be successful in their running game and get their running backs going by a committee. We saw them put up those 223 yards in the ground like you were talking about, and they only put up seven points a quarter and did what they had to do to win the ball game. But I think it's kind of refreshing and nice to see them be able to win kind of in other ways as an offense. So I think if you're a team coming to play Georgia Southern, you obviously want to worry about that passing attack. But when you see them coming off of that performance against Old Dominion where they ran the ball as well, it's a little scary. you got to play on your heels, obviously. And on the back end, you have to be prepared to defend the pass. But then when you mix in that run a little bit, it's definitely a scary thing, especially with how well these running backs are playing. But I think if you look at South Alabama's defense in this matchup, I think they're probably the best equipped out of any team in the Sun Bowl to really go up against these guys. They're obviously stout up front and they do their thing up there. And then you look at their secondary as well. I think they have the secondary to really go toe-to-toe with this receiving core. They have Yam Banks, who's one of my favorite safeties in the conference right now, along with the other voice and twin Jaden back there in the secondary. And then Darnell Luther, 
on the cornerback position, blocking things out wide and being one of the best cornerbacks in the conference year in and year out. So I'm excited to watch this offense and this defense line up against each other for sure. You think for South Alabama in this game, too, they have to reestablish the passing game. Uh, South Alabama, uh, they've looked a little bit vulnerable throwing the football uh, over the last couple of weeks. They've thrown it for under 200 yards in three of the last four games through for just 177 uh, last game against Arkansas State. And the last two games, Caden, uh, South Alabama, they failed to throw a passing touchdown. Uh, they need Carter Bradley to step back up and start to play like he was playing early on this year. Yeah, I'm going to defend my guys a little bit on this one. I think, obviously, the game against Troy, that was we, we all know what happened in that game. Troy's defense played lights out, and Carter Bradley in that offense wasn't able to get anything going. And then last week against Arkansas State, it was a game where it was raining, so you really had to lean on to LaDamian Webb, which we saw how effective he was healthy having that monster game that he had last week. But you are right, though. You want to see them get these receiving or this receiving core going, you have Lacey, you have Voice, and you have Wayne, which is arguably the best trio in the conference as far as receivers go. So hopefully this game is nice weather and they can open things up and allow those guys to do some of the things we saw earlier in the season when they were having 100-yard receiving games for each of them. And I think because of Georgia Southern, what they have on their side of the ball with their receiving core, when you have the Caleb Hoods, the Derwin Burgess, the Amari Jones, you can look at the receiving cores in the rooms in this game and say whichever one plays better might be the one that wins. So I think you're going to want to lean on this South Alabama receiving court in this game. And you might have to based on how the plot of this game goes and how effective that Georgia Southern's passing attack is that they normally are. So I'm super excited to watch both receiving cores get after it, and especially the South Alabama one that might have a little bit more motivation from those two past weeks you've talked about. We talked about Georgia Southern's rushing attack, but keep an eye out for LaDamian Webb. He answered a lot of questions last week about his health by rushing for a career high 162 yards on 28 carries. He looks like a workhorse. And it gives Carter Bradley a little bit of breathing room. Uh, last thing on this matchup, Caden, you talked about the secondary, and that secondary uh, has one, been one of the more elite units this year. They're giving up under 300 yards through the air, which is third best in the conference. Uh, but this defense as a whole, they need to continue to create chaos. Uh, last week, we saw them uh, with a season-high 11 TFLs and four sacks versus Arkansas State. Uh, they've had more than six TFLs in their last three games. Uh South Alabama needs to continue to create chaos uh, so that Kyle Van Treese doesn't just have time to go to work in the backfield. Yeah, something's going to have to give in this one. The South Alabama defense has been playing great. They're only allowing 17 points per game in the conference, which, by the way, there's two other defenses in this conference doing that, which just goes to show you some of the insane defensive play we've seen in this conference. But on the stark contrast to that, we've seen Georgia Southern's offense be so dominant on their side of the ball, putting up 36 points per game, 400 yards, 490 yards per game in offense. They, they do that thing. So I think something's going to have to give in this one. I think it's going to be a biggest challenge for both sides of the ball in this one. I think if you're South Alabama's defense, you haven't been tested vertically in the past game like you're going to get tested this weekend. And vice versa, when you're Southern's de offense going up against this defense that's been stout all year. So it is going to be a big game for South Alabama's defense, and I think they're going to be able to really control the pace of it because if they can stop Georgia Southern, their offense is going to be able to operate at a normal pace and do the things that they normally do versus if they show some vulnerabilities, give up some big plays, we might see some kind of shootout here that's kind of expected if you look at the point line here. So I'm super excited to watch that unit specifically play in this one and see the impact they can have on the entire game, not just their individual matchup against the offense. These two teams, they are two of the top five scoring teams in the Sun Belt. So certainly uh, we could see a lot of points put up in Statesboro. That one's going to be a lot of fun to watch on Saturday afternoon. We'll move through these next three games fairly quickly, but Louisiana versus Troy uh, at 4 p.m. on ESPN Plus on Saturday. Troy, uh, they've won five games in a row, but coming off of a 15-day layoff. Uh, Louisiana, Caden, this one feels a little bit like the passing of the torch type moment, perhaps. Uh, Louisiana's won the last four division crowns, and this might be the final trap game for Troy on the road to what could be a Sunbelt West division crown and a berth into the championship game. Uh, for we'll start with Louisiana in this one. They've got to take better care of the football, and that's going to be a tough task against this Troy defense that's been elite all year long. But Wooldridge, the last time we saw him, uh, he threw for three interceptions against Southern Miss. Uh, Troy's defense, they forced 13 turnovers this year, and you have to imagine it could be a long day for Louisiana unless they're able to take care of the football. Yeah, ball security is going to be a big thing for this in this game. And I think if you look at Louisiana's offense, that definitely hindered them and held them back in their matchup against Southern Miss. And I think especially when you look at how their defense started the game, their defense obviously is a great unit. 
creating turnovers, rushing the passer, pretty much every facet of the game. Louisiana's defense is on point, but they just gave up a couple explosive plays in that beginning of that game. And it made Louisiana have to play out of character. It made Woodridge have to force things to his receivers. And I think that's where you saw some of those turnovers. So I'm looking at both of these defenses to really control this game. And then I think the more control out of each defense we have, the more out of character or in character, I should say, that these quarterbacks can play. And we might see Woodridge a little bit more comfortable. He's a guy that we've seen get a little bit more comfortable week in and week out. He's definitely going to have a big test in this game going against the best defense in the conference. So I'm excited to watch if he stepped up to the occasion and what he can do for this Louisiana team in this game specifically. Part of Troy's success lately, and Caden, we've documented this on the podcast, but five games ago, which coincides with the five-game winning streak, they started to run the ball a lot more consistently. They've run it for over 100 yards in five straight weeks, all wins. Uh, They're going up against a Louisiana team that's in the middle of the pack in terms of stopping the run. They give up about 126 yards. Again, we've talked about the formula, and if Troy can get over 100 yards, they become tough to beat. Uh, It looks like they could get over 100 yards again in this game just because Louisiana hasn't been able to slow teams down to the level that it might take to keep Troy from under 100 yards. Yeah, we've talked about it in the past. DK Billingsley and Kamani Valdal. If those guys can get going in their run game for Troy, it's going to be a lot smoother sailing for them. And I think they've proven the last couple of weeks against some defenses that are a little bit better and a little bit worse than Louisiana that they can get that done. And I think it's going to come down to how they start the game. They've proven they can close the game out if they have a little bit of a lead, if they've leaned on that defense a little bit and made a couple scores happen, that they can close out games and get those three, four yard runs, those conversions that they need. The backs have proved that, but if they can come out in this game and start fast and really set the tone and punch Louisiana in the mouth and establish the run early, I think that'll be huge for them. But I think another thing they're going to want to establish in this one is getting wide receiver Tez Johnson involved because he's just an electric guy, super explosive, and they try to get them involved in a couple of different ways, but hopefully a little bit of extra preparation, they'll be able to maybe sprinkle him in the offense and give Louisiana a couple more problems that might be able to even open up their run game a little bit more. Louisiana is going to try to reestablish their running game in this contest. They ran for 69 yards against Southern Miss. They need a big game from Chris Smith. But, Caden, they're going up against Detroit defense that has been as good as it can possibly be this year. They've allowed less than 300 total yards in four of their last five games. They're the fifth best defense in the league. Uh, And they got even better in the month of October where they, you know, held opponents to just 53 or 57.3 yards per game on the ground. Uh, in the month of October, 2.2 yards per carry, which was third best in the country. Uh, Troy's defense continues to get better as the season goes on. They feel a bit like a fine wine that ages with time. I have to agree with you on that. When we talk about teams that are hottest in the conference right now, but if you look at Troy, they're definitely the hottest and they're definitely hot because of their defense. And I'd be very scared to play this unit coming off of a bye week. They've been playing inspired football on defense. They've been playing winning football on defense. And now they're coming into the month of November where they've been leaned on all year And I feel like with Carlton Marshall and that leadership they have on the defensive side of the ball, they're going to try to step their game up a little bit more. You've been watching these last couple of games they play and the wins they're securing, holding teams to six points, holding teams to 14 points, holding teams to 10 points. It's been their defense that's been doing it right now. Now they're rested and now they know, okay, we're in the driver's seat of playing in the conference championship. And it's because of us as a unit, you have to be scared of this Troy defense going forward. And if they keep aging even more like a fine wine, if we start seeing some shutouts in November, might have to see some awards, some national attention go to this defense for some of the things they're doing. Yeah, this defense has been so good. They've held six straight opponents now to under 100 yards rushing. And since week two, Caden, uh, they have held opponents to 77.7 yards per game on the ground and 2.4 yards per carry. Uh, Caden, here's some context about how good this Troy defense has been. They're tied with three other programs in the country in terms of holding opponents under 100 yards rushing. Those three opponents, there's two in the top six in the college football playoff rankings, the University of Georgia and Alabama, and then Illinois. Uh, Those are the programs that have done it as much as Troy has. So this defense has been elite this season and a big reason why Troy is in the driver's seat to win that Sunbelt West and has to be considered a favorite to perhaps win the Sunbelt. Well, let's move on. ULM versus Texas State. This one at 4 p.m. on ESPN3. ULM returns home for the first time in four weeks. Uh, The last time they were at home, we saw them give Coastal Carolina uh, a really tough game down in Monroe. Uh, Both teams coming off their bye weeks. Three of the last four meetings have been decided by less than 10 points. Uh, Caden, the story for ULM has to start with Chandler Rogers, who had a huge October, threw for nearly 1,000 yards, 10 touchdowns, completed 76% of his passes, and 
He's been particularly good in fourth quarters where he's completed 81% of his passes for nearly 500 yards and three touchdowns uh, over the last month. Chandler Rogers having a breakout season down in Monroe. Now, I'm excited about this matchup. These are two teams that are obviously coming off of bye weeks and are both very hungry for wins. And I think both of them want to get after and they're both going to want to have something to prove in this game because I feel like it's kind of visceral. You feel like both of these teams within the conference are kind of in the same spot. They're kind of on the brink. And you talk about Rodgers, but I also think that Lane Hatcher is worth mentioning too. I think both of these quarterbacks have gotten more improved than a lot of other quarterbacks in this league. And I think they've been able to carry their teams and keep their teams a little bit more relevant this season in different ways. So I'm definitely excited to watch both of these quarterbacks duel it out. And I think it's kind of like the, I think this is for me personally, it's kind of like the the most improved awards on the line as far as quarterback plays and teams. Cause I think whichever quarterback is going to be able to lead their team to victory in this one is going to be one that I look at a little bit differently now going forward as far as being able to get their team over the hump and maybe keeping their team interesting and in the conversation for the last couple of weeks of college football. Texas State, they're going to try to reestablish their run game after picking up negative six yards versus Southern Miss in their last game, but they get the perfect potion, a ULM team that uh, gave up a season-worst 441 yards on the ground to Army. Uh, The last time they played there in that game, they gave up 7.1 yards per carry. Uh, Caden, what's the formula for Texas State to get their running game going again? It's a heavy dose of Lincoln Pear. I think he's really proven that he's the workhorse of this um, offensive attack in tandem with Lane Hatcher. I think any of the games that we've seen Texas State play in this season that have been somewhat interesting, he's had good games and he's been the reason to keep them close, whether that's him busting off long runs or getting a long passing game screen going. I think he's a bruising back. He's a tough guy to bring down. I think he can give Monroe's defensive front some problems so I think if they lean into him and have him generate some offense for them and if he has a good game I think his team will follow along with Lane Hatcher so I think those two guys as a tandem could be a problem for Louisiana Monroe and really looking for them to have big games in this one especially at home watch out for that Texas State defense it could be an x factor in this game Uh, in their last game versus Southern Miss they forced three turnovers they forced 14 this season Uh, held Southern Miss to 300 yards uh, or 318 yards of offense Uh, the last time they played. So watch out for that Texas State defense in this matchup, uh, and we will make our picks a little bit later on in the episode. Louisiana, or uh, rather Louisville, uh, versus James Madison. This game will take place in the primetime on ESPNU. A great chance for the new-look Sunbelt to be showcased, and it's actually going to be the first meeting between these two programs ever. Uh, The last win for James Madison over an ACC program took place back in 2010 against Virginia. Uh, Caden, the story for this one is two of the nation's elite dual threat quarterbacks, Malik Cunningham and Todd Santeo, going to go head to head. Um, Todd Santeo misses JMU's last game. We have heard that he's likely to play in this one. Hasn't been 100% confirmed, but uh, he would be big to get back. And if he does, uh, this could set up one of the best quarterback matchups, the best dual threat quarterback matchups that we've seen all year long in college football. 100%. I think if you're a college football fan and have any interest in the game, if Todd Santel is playing in this game, he's obviously the biggest X factor. And we were talking about that all season. And you talked about it and mentioned it before. You see what this offense is like without him. So getting him back for this game in a really great head-to-head quarterback matchup would be huge. Malik Cunningham's an absolutely explosive player. He's not Lamar Jackson, but he does his best Lamar Jackson impression in these games. I believe he's leading the country as far as quarterbacks go in rushing touchdowns. But we see Todd's able to do it with his legs, his arms, and do it all. And I think both of these quarterbacks in this game are definitely going to be the biggest catalyst. And I think when you talk about both of these teams as a whole, it's really interesting because Louisville's start to the season, they start off 3-2, and two, or 2-3, two and three, I think, I believe. Not a, not the strongest start ever. And then you look at James Madison, they're getting ranked. They're having the strongest start. And they have very different momentum heading into the season. And now it's kind of reversed. Louisville's won their last three games. They see some injuries to JMU and some disappointing losses in their last two games. I feel like it's a very duality momentum game. And I think both these quarterbacks will obviously be, obviously be an X factor. But I think just as a matchup as a whole, as far as two programs going up against each other and two quarterbacks, it's, it's much watch college football for me this weekend. James Madison, uh, they don't want to put all the pressure on Santeo, so in order to do that, they need to reestablish the running game. They ran for a season-low 83 yards the last time we saw them. They'd gone for over 200 yards in five of seven games this year. Uh, They need a big performance from uh, Percy Ajay Obisay. He's going to be someone to watch in this game. Uh, You have to imagine they'd love to see him get off to a strong start against Louisville. 
Yeah, he's been explosive for them all year. He's a great running back. And I think in your in the last two weeks without Todd Santeo, you've really been seeing them leaning into him. He's gotten his most carries in those games, I think, of the season with 20 and 18. I think Todd coming back can only make him stronger. Todd's obviously the second leading rusher of this ball club. And I think if you have both of them, it's way more effective for Louisville or less effective for Louisville if you have to worry about both, both Percy and Todd back there. So I think Todd's back in this game. We can expect to definitely see a big game out of the running game outside of Todd as well. Malik Cunningham, the star quarterback for Louisville in this game, one of the premier dual threat quarterbacks in the nation. He's their leading rusher and passer. Uh, He's responsible for over 250 yards per game. Caden, if you're this James Madison defense, how do you try to contain uh, Malik Cunningham in this game? The good news for you is you practice against a pretty explosive quarterback day in and day out if you're James Madison's defense. And you've obviously proven throughout the season that you could stop just about any kind of offense. But I think you look at just personnel as a whole. This is the most talented quarterback and a talented player, an explosive player that you're playing all year. So it's definitely going to be a different new challenge for James Madison. But I think as far as stopping Malik goes, really have to just make him as comfortable as possible. The more people you can put in his face, the more you can have him make throws outside of the pocket. And he's very comfortable outside of the pocket, but you want him moving. You want to get him as tired as possible. I think he's going to put on a Superman cape and it's going to run through him as far as the offense goes. And I think more important than anything, you're going to have to keep a level head. He's going to make plays. He's that kind of player that is every so often going to show flashes of greatness. He's going to shake someone out their shoes. He's going to make that big play. That's a little bit embarrassing probably, but if you're James Madison, you just got to keep a level head and keep consistent with staying at him and giving his best shot and getting hits on him whenever you can. Watch out for the battle in the trenches in this game. Louisville comes in. They've run for over 150 yards in five of eight games this year. James Madison, meanwhile, we've made jokes all season about how good that rushing defense has been. They've only given up two 100-yard rushing performances. This certainly will be one of the toughest tasks for James Madison against a Louisville team that rushes the ball with ease. Well, Caden, that's all the games that we have this weekend, so time to move on to Uh, one of the best, maybe most controversial segments of this podcast, and that's where we make our picks uh, for these weekend's games. We're going to go ahead and start with the game that we started talking about, and that's Old Dominion versus Marshall. Uh, The Herd come in a three-point favorite on the road. The over-under sits at 46.5, and and as I tend to do, I'm going to let you go first on this first one. Yeah, I'm going to take Marshall in this game. I think Old Dominion, we've seen some peaks and valleys for this season for them. I think the last couple of weeks, we saw some great things out of their offensive attack and then kind of a stinking performance last week out of them. And I think the end of the season for them is going to be a rough time. And I think they're playing for a little bit different motivation than Marshall right now. And the momentum is just harder for them to get on their side. I think overall as a whole, Marshall coming into this game, they have a little bit more to prove as far as them not being able to run the ball last week and having some promising things in the passing game. I'm looking for them to capitalize on that against the Old Dominion team that's thrown, shown some deficiencies in that part of their game. So give me Marshall to win, give me Marshall to cover, and I'm going to take the over on this. I don't think it's going to be as low scoring as we think. I think both offenses will be able to move the ball a little bit more than we think, and especially Marshall coming off of their performance from last week. Well, this might be an ominous sign because we're about to disagree on everything that you just said. I have Old Dominion winning this game. Uh, They're at home, and they've played pretty well at home all all year long at SB Ballard. Uh, So give me Old Dominion to uh, pull off what might be a little bit of an upset here. Over-under sits at 46.5, as I mentioned. And, Caden, I feel like this one might be a bit of a defensive slugfest at times. So I'm actually taking the under on this. I think the difference could be a Hayden Wolf touchdown to Ali Jennings. Uh, in this game but give me old dominion to win and i'm going to take the under there so we've already disagreed once uh, on this pick segment this should be fun uh southern miss versus georgia state uh southern miss comes in a two-point favorite at home over under sits at 48 and caden i'm sticking with the guys that have been making me look good the last couple weeks and that's southern miss uh i've picked them the last couple of times that they've played football and they continue to win uh, they're favored at home in front, uh, against Georgia State. I think there's going to be a lot of rushing yards in this game. Uh, we might not see many passing touchdowns. So uh, over under at 48, go ahead and give me the under there. But uh, I'm taking Southern Miss to beat Georgia State. Well, we might have disagreed on the first one, but I think we're going to agree on this one. I think when it comes down for me, and this is a tough decision for me because it's either bet again against Darren Granger or bet again against the Nasty Bunch. And I'm not betting against the Nasty Bunch again. I thought their defense wasn't going to be able to elevate enough to pull out that win that they had last week, but I'm not doing that again. So I'm taking Southern Miss in this one, and I think they will cover. I think I do agree with you on the under with the points as well. I think both of the quarterbacks in this game aren't going to really be able to elevate their offenses to do much to really put a ton of points on the board. But as far as controlling the clock or running the ball and playing just 
solid hard-nosed defense. I think Southern Miss is going to be able to do that a little bit better than Georgia State in this one to come out the win. So give me them to win, them to cover, but the under on the points. Okay, and it might be because I just got done watching two fantastic quarterbacks in Grayson McCall and Chase Bryce, but we were supposed to talk about Georgia Southern, South Alabama, and make our picks on this one next. I'm calling it audible and moving on to Louisiana versus Troy. We're going to save some intrigue for the end of this episode. Uh, but Louisiana versus Troy, Troy, a four-point favorite. Uh, over under sits at 43 points in this one. Uh, I'll bite the bullet here and go first. Uh, I think there's a passing of the torch moment that's going to happen here. Give me Troy to win this game on the road down in Cajun Field. Uh, we've already seen South Alabama uh, exercise some demons down at Cal or Cajun Field uh, this season. Uh, so give me Troy. They're going to do the same thing. Over under at 43. Uh, that one's a little edgy, I think. Uh, and I've taken two unders so far. So I'm going to go ahead and take the over on this one. So Troy to win, taking the over in this game. Like that I talked about before, I bet against Troy and their defense the last time, one too many times on this podcast, and I'm just not going to do it again. When I look at the production they've had week in and week out and how limited they've been able to keep offenses, Louisiana's offense doesn't scare me too much, and I feel like when you look at Troy's defense, they're just too dominant and they're too good. But I do think this will be a close game. I'm going to take Troy to win, but I do think Louisiana will cover. I still think they have some of that championship DNA in them, some of that fight in them. I think Woodridge is playing great football. But I think Troy's defense is just a little too good. And I think it's going to be a low-scoring shootout. I think Louisiana might be able to get their hand on the ball a little bit. I think the quarterback play in Troy is going to be huge in this game. And there might be some turnovers, some back and forth in this game. I do think it is going to be a close, low-scoring ball game. But I think in those kind of ball games, it's hard to bet against Troy this year. So give me Troy to win. But I do think Louisiana will cover. And I'm going to take the under on the points. I think it's going to be an absolute slugfest this weekend. Next one up, ULM versus Texas State. Uh, the Warhawks come in a one-and-a-half-point favorite over-under at 52. Screams that we could see some points in this one. Caden, how do you think this game's going to go down in Monroe? Texas State's played well at home, and I think I'm going to keep rocking with them. I think they're just a little bit better this year as far as what they've been producing as a product. So I'm going to take Texas State to win it, but I do think this is going to be a close game. I think this is going to be an exciting one and one of the most evenly matched up games as we look at personnel, offense, defense, top to bottom. So I'm going to take Texas State to win, but I do think Monroe covers, and I'm going to take the over on the points. I think we talked about the quarterback play in this game, how important it's going to be and how improved. I think both of these quarterbacks come out with something to prove. I think the game plan is going to be on their shoulders and very dependent on them. I look for Rodgers to maybe use his feet a little bit more. Lane Hatcher, hopefully, to take care of the ball a little bit more. That will result in points for both teams. So I'm going to take the over. So give me Texas State to win, Monroe to cover, but the over on the points. I'm actually going to go the opposite direction again on this one. Uh, ULM, the X factor in my mind is the fact that this game is being played in Monroe. They've been really good at home this year. Uh, the last time we saw them take the field down in Monroe, they gave Coastal Carolina a scare. Uh, Texas State is not nearly as good of a team as Coastal Carolina is, as we've just seen against App State. So uh, go ahead and give me ULM in this game. Over under at 52 uh, feels a bit high, so I'm going to go ahead and take the under in this contest. So ULM to win and taking the under against Texas State. Uh, Louisville versus James Madison. Louisville comes in a seven and a half point favorite. The over under sits at 52. Caden, uh, I'll go first here. My heart wants to pick James Madison, uh, but I'm not going to. And here's the reason why I'm still a little bit concerned about Todd Santeo's health. If he was coming in and if this was Maybe two weeks ago when James Madison was ranked and the Dukes were flying high, uh, I would probably be picking James Madison in this game. But I think you made a good point earlier. Louisville uh, got off to a slow start this season, but definitely has been playing better of late. I think they're going to cover the spread at seven and a half, win this game. Over under at 52, I think that one could come down, uh, particularly if Todd Santeo is healthy and plays. Uh, so give me the over in this matchup. I agree with a lot of what you said. I think the momentum in this game in Todd Santeo is the biggest X factor and issue in this one that's really hard to pick JMU. I think if we're talking about the same JMU team that was undefeated to start the season absolutely rolling and using that momentum that they had in the beginning of the season, they'd be a lot easier team to pick in this one. But I think when you look at the power that's been built and the momentum that's been built from Louisville in a tough ACC conference, it's just hard to pick against that, especially with the quarterback play they have as well that can match Todd Santeo, which is a very rare thing to come by as far as athleticism and ability. So give me Louisville to this one. But I think Todd does come out with something to prove off of the bye week, and he's had to watch his team play the last couple of weeks without him, and I know it's been eating him up. And even the last time he was on the field against Georgia Southern, 
was tough for him to watch, and he didn't have the best game in that one. So I think they will cover this one. So give me Louisville to win, but JMU to cover. And I'm going to take the under on the points. I think the defenses are both going to have to show up, and this one or else is going to get very out of hand. I can see this one destroying the over completely and being an absolute shootout against two dual-threat quarterbacks, and I think that's why the line kind of sits where it is. But I'm just kind of going to bet against that. I just think it's a little bit too predictable for this one, and we might see some better defensive performances than we think. Well, I called the I called the audible earlier, and now we're finally going to talk about it. Georgia Southern versus South Alabama. South Alabama uh, comes in a four point favorite on the road, a sixty one and a half point over under. We've talked about how good uh, these two teams are at scoring the football. Caden, uh, what are your thoughts on this matchup? Yeah, so when James Madison came to Statesboro and they had to play, I, I talked about it during my pick when I picked James Madison, and I was wrong. Obviously, this is a hard place to win. Southern has some different momentum and swagger when they play in Statesboro. It's a it's a sleeper game. Watch out for this sneaky team. And I want to do that again very badly, but I just simply can't because one, everyone knows I ride for South Alabama. And two, it's because they're just way too complete of a team. I think if you look at South Alabama compared to Georgia Southern, obviously Georgia Southern can get in a shootout with anybody. They can sling the ball across the rock, but I think their defense is just a little too bad for me to pick. They have the worst defense in the league as far as giving up the most amount of yards on the ground, which we saw South Alabama was able to do with LaDamian Webb on the ground last week. And they give the second most yards in the air. And we know what they are capable of with their receiving course. So I'm going to have to take South Alabama in this one, but I do think it is going to be a close one. I think this is going to be a little bit of a shootout and a little bit some parody to this game and some excitement to this game. But I am going to take South Alabama, South Alabama to win. So give me them to win. But I do think Georgia Southern covers and keeps it close, but I'm definitely taking the over on the points because I think, now that I think about it, you know what? I think, South Alabama's defense might be able to control the pace of the game a little bit more than we think. So I'm going to take the under on the points, actually. I think there's still going to be a lot of points and it's going to be close, but I think their defense is just that much better than any other unit that Southern has to where I think they can control it. So give me South Alabama to win, Southern to cover, but the under on the points. Sorry, that was complicated. Bog, 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 bog. <laughs> Chickening out there a little bit. And Caden, I'm an anarchist here and... Uh, I really like Georgia Southern in this game. Uh, you have thoroughly convinced me about the atmosphere in Statesboro. Uh, South Alabama has been the darlings in the Sun Belt all year long, but we saw James Madison, another darling, come into Statesboro uh, earlier this year and walk out with an L. I think South Alabama's walking out with an L in this one. So give me Georgia Southern to win this game. Over under at 61 and a half. I mentioned I'm an anarchist, but I also love to see points scored. Uh, I would love to see an absolute shootout in Statesboro. Uh, so maybe this is me betting with just my heart here, but I'm going to take the over just because I'm hoping uh, that we get to see a game where these two teams go toe-to-toe. So it's certainly going to be an interesting game. I think uh, I'm glad we saved that one for last to talk about. Uh, I'm excited to see that we disagreed more than we normally do um, on this episode. So I think that's going to be fun and definitely sets up some great intrigue uh, for the weekend. Well, it was another full episode of the Prairie and Smith podcast. We've already seen some great football this week and are excited for more on Saturday. Before you go, don't forget that we'll be back with another episode on Monday uh, where we'll recap all the action from week 10 around the Sun Belt. Thanks again for taking time to listen. If you like what you heard on today's episode of the Prairie and Smith podcast, make sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so that you never miss an episode. And if you'd be so kind, rate the show or leave us a quick review. Uh, we love hearing what y'all think. Finally, follow the show on our Twitter page at Adferian Smith for all the latest Sunbelt football news and notes from around the conference. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>